Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Krita, your host. It's great to be together today again. We are enjoying the brand new few days in this new year. And I believe a lot of uh, people have uh, some things set up for the year to come, but we, we are going to accept what um, God has in plan for us all. And there is a covenant which God shared with us. That's the study which we will uh, look at today, God's covenant with us. I'd like to welcome our panel for today. And it's good to have with us Jerry. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, panel. Nice to be with you again. Thank you for joining us, Brenton. Yes, pleasure to be on, Nick. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a very stimulating Bible study. Denise, it's good to have you with us, too. Very happy to be here, Nick. Will, thank you for joining. It's a good study, and thank you for having me. Joe, also we, we are happy to have you part of this discussion. Thank you, Nick. It's always, always a pleasure. Ken, thank you for coming with us. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. And Len, it's good to have you part of the panel. In particular, as I like to mention, uh, for those people who put extra work in preparation for the Bible study, you prepared this Bible study for today and you are going to facilitate the discussion. Thank you for joining Yes, that's right. And hello, listeners. Okay, Len, I will just uh, let you take us through, please. Listeners, the word covenant seems to be somewhat mysterious, although really it's not. Covenant simply means an agreement, a promise or a contract. Parents often make covenants with their children. For example, if a child agrees to do certain things proposed by the parents, then that child has entered into a covenant, a contract. Buying and selling involves covenants. A vendor offers, say, a wheelbarrow for a certain price on Gumtree. You call to find out that the wheelbarrow is still for sale and finding it is, you arrive at a mutual price to be paid on pickup. And what's happened is you've entered into a verbal contract, a covenant. That's an agreement between two parties. Other covenants require no agreement between two parties. One party is prepared to do something regardless of the other parties. This is also a covenant. And today we shall discuss God's covenants with us. But like always... We would like to start with prayer. And Joe, would you like to lead us in prayer today? Certainly. Father, we thank you that we are able to come together to consider and discuss some of the many truths in your word. And today we're discussing covenants. Please be with us and help us to gain a clearer understanding in the passages we look at today. Touch our hearts so that we may desire to walk ever more closely with you. Be with each member and listener to bless and enlighten with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Now, Ken, 
<clears throat> on the subject of covenants, what is a two-party covenant called? And can you give any examples? Well, then, a two-party covenant is called bilateral, by meaning two, and lateral relating to the side. A bilateral means two sides. A very good example of this, which is well known, is a marriage where it's two-sided, a natural. It's an agreement between man and the woman to be faithful to each other until they die. But there are many others out there, but this is the best well-known one. Yes. Yes, so that covenant is called bilateral. Bi, of course, as Ken has explained, meaning two Two parties to it. All right, well, let's go to another type of covenant. Denise, what is a one-party covenant called? And can you give any examples? Yes, Lynn. Um, a one-party covenant is called a unilateral covenant. And unilateral means, well, the uni part means one-sided um, and, and it's unconditional and it's non-exclusive. And lateral, of course, meaning side. So it's a one-sided action or decision. Uh, it can apply to all participants. For instance, in a competition, all co participants receive a prize. Or from the text in Matthew 5.45, it says, God gives the sunshine and the rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. So a one-sided action by God on all people. Okay. Well, I'd just like to give you another little example. For example, uh, going with a, a group of people to a restaurant and everybody says, uh, yes, we'll pay for our own, but you might say or I might say, no, I'll pay for everybody. That then becomes a unilateral covenant. All right, well, that's discussed the terminology now, Jerry, in John 3.16, what is the nature of God's salvation covenant with mankind? Yes, Lynn, I'll just read uh, John 3.16, probably the, the best-known verse in the Bible, and with good reason, because it's often referred to as uh, the gospel in a nutshell. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you analyze that, essentially you're given two options, everlasting life if you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, or if you don't believe in him, then your life ceases. You have everlasting uh, separation from God, if you like. And that thought is also found in First John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, where it says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. There are the two options. The choice is yours. Yes, that's clear enough, isn't it? Mm. Now, Jerry's already said a little bit about this, Joe. But this covenant... Uh, outlined in John 3.16, is it bilateral or unilateral? And how does it work? Well, in a, as it's been said, in a unilateral 
uh, covenant, only God has an obligation. It is not contingent on any other condition. In a bilateral covenant, both parties have a part to play in this agreement. Um, God promises certain benefits if the other party, that is us, holds up their end of the agreement. God says, if you do this, then I will do that. And no one is going to force us to uphold any part of the agreement it is willingly entered into. So for it to be successful in this bilateral covenant, both parties need to meet the terms of the agreement. So in one sense, you're saying that it's unilateral. God has made this blanket statement that's available for anybody, but on the other hand is uh, bilateral because anyone who accepts the conditions goes into a covenant relationship. Is that what you're saying, Joe? Yes. All Thank right. you, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on. Will the Apostle Paul accepted Christ as his saviour, which really means he entered into a covenant relationship with God. As he neared the end of his life, what did Paul have to say about himself? Uh, Paul says that he kept the faith, actually, his side of the bargain, if you please. Uh, he could confidently expect the promised reward of eternal life. Let me read what he says in Second Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Like Paul, I believe, Len, that we can have the assurance that we too will receive the gift of life eternal, because John um, says in First John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you may know that you have eternal life. Yes. I remember a cousin of mine went down to the beach one time. It was in the summer, and somebody walked up to him and says, said to him, are you saved? And he was a little bit astounded to be approached by a perfect stranger asking such a question. And... Uh, I won't tell you his answer, but I'm going to ask you, and I'm referring to you as well, listeners, are you saved? You could say, yes, I hope to have eternal life, but Will used a word in what he just said, which I think is better, that we have the assurance of eternal life because God will never break his side of the covenant and if we never break our side of the covenant, then we have eternal life. And so if someone walks up to you on the beach one day and says, are you saved? You can say, yes, I am, through the grace of God. Well, let's move on. Brenton, salvation, as you would well know, is offered to everyone, and it's non-exclusive. What's the outcome for those who do not accept the terms of the salvation covenant? 
Jerry covered it in the second part of John 3.16, where he mentioned that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you choose not to accept everlasting life, uh, the result is eternal death. And I'm reminded of a text, Len, here in Deuteronomy 30.15, where Moses says to the children of Israel right at the end of his life, See, I have set before you today life and death, good and evil. Down in verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Isn't it tragic, Len, that so many are going to choose not to accept that particular gift. And let me share a story with you briefly. A number of years ago, I read a story about a train crash in India. Uh, the train went off the line as a result of a torrential downpour, which had weakened the foundations of the bridge that it was crossing. And the uh, train, unfortunately, plunged into the river. And, of course, there were many people in the water who were struggling to to free themselves or to get to the bank. And some of the bystanders who were on the side threw them a life buoy um, so that they could grasp that and be drawn to safety. Do you know that there were two castes of Indians on that train? Neither caste would allow the other caste to go first. And as a result of that, 27 people lost their lives. Now, in a sense, that's just a, a, a microcosm of the fact that eternal life is offered to everyone, but the bulk of humanity, unfortunately, will choose not to accept it. Which is very sad. Yes. And that's why we're sharing what we're sharing on air, so that many more people will accept that covenant that God has so graciously given. Most people have some idea of what's involved in a higher purchase contract. Should you borrow money from a lender, you agree, that is, you enter into a covenant to repay the loan over a certain period of time with regular payments of a fixed amount. If a borrower defaults and fails to maintain those payments, penalties will be imposed. In the book of Deuteronomy, which Brenton just referred to a little while ago, Moses God's spokesperson to the Israelites outlined God's blessings to the people for keeping the covenant and curses for failing to keep it. So, Brendan, let's have a look at some of these and uh, <clears throat> perhaps you could read Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 9, and it speaks about a necessary condition for the people to have a successful outcome to their lives. What it says is this in answer to your question. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey. There's the first clue. Obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments in which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. 
will be the fruit of your body, the product of or the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, etc. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And then he talks about how he will deal with your enemies. They will come against you one way and go out seven. Then down in verse nine, he says, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Now, as a teacher, Len, you would have recognized there are a number of interesting points here. The word obey occurs a number of times. But the one that uh, particularly catches my attention is verse 14, walking in his ways. When you go to the kings of Israel, you find out that uh, the very um, after Solomon died, he had a son called Rehoboam. Rehoboam passed away and his son was called Abijam. And Abijam, it says, walked in all the sins of his father. And by comparison, you had the story of the good king Josiah, who it says walked in all the ways of David, his father. It says furthermore that he did not turn to the right hand or to the left, virtually quoting what we've got here in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So I think obedience is important, but obedience leads to a walk. You can't just have um, obedience like an um, a robot, what God wants is he wants obedience from the heart, but he wants us to walk in his ways. To walk in his ways means to conduct your life in such a manner that you're in tune with God all the time. We know of a Bible character who did that. His name was Enoch. It says Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. Now, that will be yes. our, that will be our um, result as a panel will also be the result for our listeners if we walk in the ways of God. One day we will walk into the kingdom of heaven and meet our God. Okay, well, I was going to ask, all right, this is history, but does the same thing apply today? And you've answered it. The same thing applies today. Well, now let's look at the other side of the coin. Mm. Um, Deuteronomy is the chapter and verses, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 28 is the chapter. And from verses 15 to 24, it speaks about what would happen if the people do not obey. Mm. Denise, would you like to just open this one up for us a bit? Sure, Len. Um, I actually read through that, um, the rest of that chapter, Deuteronomy 28, and it actually goes from 15 to right to the end of that chapter, which is to verse uh, 68 for the curses um, that would come upon the people. So I'm going to summarise um, what it says, but I'm going to read one of the verses. Um, so if the people failed to choose uh, to follow God and to be part of his covenant agreement, their lives would be cursed. So that involved their children, their flocks, the land that they were uh, trying to grow produce from, uh, they would suffer diseases, the ground would be cursed, the weather would go against them, their enemies would overtake them. So pretty much life would be very tough for them and they would suffer greatly if they chose to neglect God's covenant. And I'd like to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 20, which I think is a summary. It says, The Lord will send on you curses 
confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. So pretty severe consequences. So I would like to ask a subsequent question to what you just said, Denise. Does God curse people in order to get even with them? No. I think that the curses come as a result of the consequences of our choices. Okay. I think, yes, Brenton and then Will, maybe you'd like to share some ideas on this. Just a quick thought on it, Len. I don't know that he curses us. I think he withholds his blessings from us. Okay. Will? Yes, I think we don't think of the curses of the Lord in in the same uh, vein as a witch uh, casting curses on people. No, by withdrawing his blessings in his presence, uh, evil takes over. Yes. Yes, Joe. I believe it's more of a cause and effect. You know, if you do this, there are natural, natural re- results of what you do. And, um, God tries to, tries to show you a better way so that you avoid the pain of making these mistakes. Jerry? But I think they're the natural consequences. Okay. Jerry. I think it's interesting, uh, how in uh, chapter 28, the very first verse uh, starts with now, it shall come to pass if. Look at the number of times the word if occurs in that chapter alone and in many other places in the Bible. We, we talked a little earlier on about um, the assurance of salvation. Yes, you can have the assurance of salvation today if you walk with the Lord and surrender your heart to him and do that every day. And that's why we sing that beautiful hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Um, so... But it gives you a choice, doesn't it? It comes back to choice again. If you do this, then this is what you can expect. If you turn your back on God, then clearly God can't bless you. You put yourself out of the sphere of his blessings. Yes. Yes, Brenton? Can I put a spanner in the spokes here um, a little bit, Lem? Um, There is a text in the Bible that says God sends his rain on the just as well as the unjust. And there are numerous statements, particularly in the book of Psalms, where David often talks about the prosperity of the wicked. So God sends his blessings on everybody. Whilst we have stated, and I agree with Joe to a degree, that uh, cause and effect is certainly involved, I think all of us have been around and lived in this world long enough to know that many of the people who seem to be prospering in our society are not good people. (laughs) So... um, You've got to look at it from the point of view of what is the end of the, the direction in which they're going. And that comes back to what we said at the start, that whoever believes in him has eternal life and whoever doesn't believe in God does not have eternal life. So whilst in this world the wicked may appear to prosper for a time, uh, there is enough evidence in Scripture to suggest that uh, the end of it is not going to be good. Okay, well, you've... Uh... Put a touch of reality into this, although I've tried to. <laughs> although I personally feel that as we honour and serve God and obey Him, we can expect His blessings. Yes. Um, just a little thing about raising children. Joe was talking about cause and effect. 
Uh, we have three children. They're all adults now. But one thing I've learned, it's good when raising children to make them responsible for their own choices. So something comes up and the parent will say, well, if you do this, there'll be a positive, uh, there'll be a positive outcome. Like if you keep your room tidy all the time, uh, I'm going to give you, we'll give you a new bike, for example. This is just an example. So the child then has a goal in mind. And if they do what is right, then they'll have a positive outcome. And this also applies to us as adults, that if we do what is right, there will be positive outcomes for us. All right, well, let's move on because we're going to touch on this later on towards the end of the program. Ken, we've just heard about how Moses set before the people blessings if they honoured and obeyed God and curses if they didn't. Did God impose conditions on his people that were impossible to keep? Well, then we, we read in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Also, it's interesting to note in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 to 10, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So although we do have challenges and problems in this life, they don't get to the point, I believe, where they're that overwhelming that we cannot win over them. Okay, so you've given us a really good answer there. But the short answer is, as far as I'm concerned, there are no conditions that God imposes, imposes is the wrong word, no conditions that God gives his people that are impossible to keep. Yes, Brenton? Can I suggest, um, Len, that most of us here at some stage or another in life have entered into a contract of some type. One of the things I, I remember from my time when I studied contract law is always read the small print in a contract. Now, the contract or covenant between God and his people does not contain small print. It's simple enough for everybody if they choose to accept it. Believe in Jesus Christ as your personal saviour and you have eternal life. If you choose not to, well, we're going to come to some of those outcomes further on in our study. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting point. No small print with God. What you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. The salvation covenant still exists in our time. So we'll... Are the conditions difficult? Are the 
are the positive outcomes worthwhile? Could you like to shed some light on this, please? Well, you ask your first question, are the conditions difficult? In 1 John 5 verse 3, um, it answers it. It says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome are not wearisome or burdensome. So it is easy. So are the outcomes worthwhile? Well, think just of being given eternal life for believing without long pilgrimages and all that. I would say, yes, Len, it's worthwhile. And the good news, uh, it, well, in Acts 16.31, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That's welcome announcement to the man in this context and his entire family. Okay, so conditions are not difficult and the outcomes are definitely worthwhile. Now, looking on the other side of the coin, Jerry, what about the outcomes of rejecting being part of the Salvation Covenant? Well, absolutely disastrous. Uh, especially when you consider what God has prepared for you. Uh, when you think eternal life, when you talk to people about eternal life, it, it absolutely mystifies me how so many people don't even consider that. They think, no, I'll, I'll make up my own mind. I'll just live a good life here and that'll do me. And and you think, why would you settle for only this life? And this, and the, you know, the struggles and the turmoil that you have in this life, even if you have a good life compared to what God has prepared for you, wouldn't you even, even seriously consider that? So yeah, rejecting God's proposal, which is everlasting life, as, as Will just said, I mean, like, it can't get any better than that, can it? No. All right. Well, that's looking into the future. Mm-hmm. But what about? The present time in this day and age, are there any present rewards for keeping God's, God's commandments and walking in the way of the Lord? So, if so, yeah, what are they? Well, well, one that um, is really dear to me, a verse in Scripture from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So stayed on you is focused on you. And that is our privilege if we, if we do that as we go through life. And you know, we all to some degree at some stage in our lives suffer anxiety, stress, and maybe some depression. But isn't it wonderful to know that if you, if you are able to focus on God and his love for you, that that'll turn around and you will experience the peace that God offers, and it's so different than anything the world has to offer, and it's it's a beautiful gift that God gives us. Um, you know, it, in this world, there is all kinds of stress and turmoil. It can be a sudden, unexpected change in your circumstances. Um, you know, work, health, relationships, finance, uh, could be political unrest. You could be find yourself suddenly caught up in a natural disaster. All these things. And yet in the midst of that all, the promise still remains, doesn't it? If you keep your eyes focused on the Lord, 
then you can have the assurance that his eye is upon you, that his hand will guide you. And, okay, even in the darkest valley, we read that, don't we, in the, in David's psalm, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. It's a beautiful promise. And, of course, there are many others as well. I think of uh, health laws. If you if you look at what the Bible says about keeping your body in optimal condition, um, there are certain things that you can learn from that, certain foods you um, uh, that are not fit for consumption, for human consumption. I mean, God would know, wouldn't he? He gives us these the clear distinctions between what is what is good to eat or what is not good to eat. And if you follow those rules, it makes perfect sense. And then you reap the benefits. You you you, you can be a very healthy person in this life. And that is a great, a, a wonderful uh, advantage. Okay. Now, I just want you to kind of summarize this this way, Jerry. Yep. If somebody offered you a bucket full of black opal mm -hmm. and somebody else offered you uh, a bucket full of peace, if I could put it that way, which would you choose? Well, it's interesting you should ask me that question because you know of my opal background, my <laughs> opal mining background, and uh, black opal, of course, is um, oh, it's just a beautiful gemstone as far as I'm concerned, and it can be very, very expensive per carat you can be looking at thousands of dollars per carat so you give me a bucket well that uh, that is uh, almost inestimable the value but um what's it worth in the end what is it worth give me peace any day any day yes. uh, that might sound a bit silly to some people but in actual fact we undervalue the value of peace and overvalue the things that we can touch and see. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, Joe, <clears throat> a lot of people regard the Bible as an outdated book with no relevance to modern society. Yet, if people accept and practice what is written in the Book of Wisdom, which is the Book of Proverbs, are there any benefits to be had? Yes, some may feel that the Bible is outdated, Lynn, and irrelevant to modern society, but this assumption is based on a lack of familiarity with the contents and the author behind it. There are a number of passages where God urges all his children to pay attention to the, the way that they live and the choices they make. And Brenton read, read such a passage in Deuteronomy because the way you, the choices that you make in life does impact your own happiness and the outcomes in your life, but also it does touch the lives of others. Now, this passage, um, comes from Proverbs and chapter three. And if I just may read it quickly, there's some very beautiful words and promises in there. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, these are words of Solomon, known as the wisest man that has ever lived. And these are some words that he was, he would have been saying to his own son or daughter. And they're from the experience that he had, experiences that he'd had in his own life. This is experiential knowledge that he's gained from life, sometimes walking with God, but also sometimes going his own way, making some poor decisions, which he later lamented. So we are here hearing the voice of God through the experience of one who had tried it all and had been there, done that, seemed to prosper Brenton, but it was all very shallow yes. <laughs> at times. <laughs> and he sums it up. If you want to live a good, long, happy, healthy, happy life, the best thing you could possibly do, given that not all things in life are smooth, then this is the way to do it. Follow this advice. The closer we align ourselves to this advice, the more satisfying our experience in life. So, you know, there are things that I do, you know, keep my commands in your heart. They will prolong your life. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Trust in the Lord. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Honor the Lord with your wealth and first fruits of your crops. So, you know, if you do this, there's a natural outcome that God will bless. And so God covenants with his people that if they do this, then he will do that. And there are many beautiful promises given, but they are conditional to living in a way that is pleasing to God. So, Joe, following on from that, what are two of the areas that Solomon has mentioned that um, if we trust in the Lord will affect us? Well, health and wealth seem to be the two main things. And I think this is, these are the two that seem to concern us most. <laughs> yes. So, Ken, what is the operative thing that Joe was talking about there or from, that she read from the book of Proverbs? What's the operative thing for any individual to do? Well, then, if you read Proverbs 3, 5, it basically says, you trust the Lord with all your heart. And next verse, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So in essence, we are to trust in the Lord, no matter what's going on around us. Okay. Trust in the Lord. And I like what you just said. Um just trust in the Lord, full stop, even when things are not shaping up the way we think they should. So, Denise, why should anybody trust in the Lord? Well, then there's a very good reason, and I found a text in Psalms 145, verse 13. The second part of that verse says, The Lord is faithful to all his promises. So we can trust him because he is both compassionate and consistent, and what he says he does. Okay. And um, you can trust somebody like that. You know that somebody will keep what they say. That's someone you can trust. Well, now, <clears throat> I'm asking this of you, panel, and we might have time for one or two. Have you personally ever had any difficult experiences 
where you felt uncertain about the resolution. And if you did, did you trust in the Lord and how was that situation resolved? Does anybody like to respond to that? Yes, Ken. I'm not sure Leonard maybe call it difficult. However, over the years, certain times I have gone looking for a particular job and one has popped up and I'm thinking, oh, this would be fantastic. This is really good. But then I pray about it and ask the Lord, is this the best one to go for? Expecting it to be yes. And in actual fact, it turned out to be no. And we didn't get that job. Uh, but always something else came along, which was very good. And so I always trust the Lord that way. Yes, well, I've had some too, but I'd like to share a quick one about my brother. He worked for a motor company here in Adelaide. And he was the warranty manager and the boss, the general manager said, I want you to order three new bumper bars. They're not actually bars these days for the Ford Falcons. And my brother said, but why? We have no warranty uh, claims on that. The boss said, just do it or you'll lose your job. And Graham, my brother said, I will not do it because it's being dishonest. The boss said to him, all right, you're fired. That very day, he got another job that was an easier job and the pay was much better. So that was a very graphic example of trusting in the Lord and doing what the Lord tells us to do, to be honest, and he had a positive outcome. Well, Brenton, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34, there's a verse there about where we should put our priorities. I'd like your comments, please. Verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All these things being, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? And what are you going to wear? In other words, what we call today the necessities of life. Now, verse 34 says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. Just worry about this. Well, don't worry, but just concentrate on today. I think, Len, the, the key word in that verse 33 is seek first the kingdom of God. That suggests to me that and his righteousness, we're to seek Christ's righteousness the priority is not to be what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink, and what are we going to wear, because the earlier verses state that God already knows those needs and he will supply them. So, But in telling you to seek, it suggests, number one, that you still have some way to go in understanding the kingdom of God and also receiving his righteousness. So that's where the priority is meant to be, because if you are spiritually right with God, I believe that the other things do also um, uh, come along as well as part of it. <clears throat> okay, thank you. Well, Denise, in seeking the Lord, as Brenton has just read from the book of Matthew, is seeking the Lord part of a covenant relationship? Definitely, Len. Um, in First Peter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the 
part of that covenant relationship is to put God first and to ask him into your life each day. Yes, I agree with you there. Our part of the relationship is to Jesus is focused on seeking, but we also have other parts in obeying and walking in the Lord, as Brenton previously mentioned. Well, Joe, in the last few years, as you would know, and probably everybody on the planet would know, we've had COVID, we've had flooding, we've had bushfires and war and other disasters. And many people, including Christians, have had to deal with unwanted hardship. How do you think the verses in Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, might apply to them? I'll read the verses, Lynn. Um, Jerry read, I think, verse 3. I'm not sure if you read verse 4. It says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Well, we've had a lot of hard times in the last couple of years. Um, many people have lost loved ones across the world. Um, there's been economic hardship. There's been a lot of things that have happened that have been, yeah, compounding one after another. And I guess, you know, this promise doesn't promise a hardship-free life. None can go through without through life without encountering some difficulty, adverse situations, and we've just had a few of them, one after the other. It does, however, promise that if you trust in God, you will not be overwhelmed when this happened. And the key word that seems to be coming up through this entire panel discussion is the word trust. For the Lord is the rock eternal, it says in verse 4. Now, when, when canoeing along a stream through Harqua, we were first times in Victoria, just as the snow was melting, we were try, trying to navigate some of the various changes in direction of flow and our canoes capsized just like that, completely unexpectedly. <laughs> I found myself immersed in freezing water with nothing solid to stand on. I remember my feet desperately trying to find something solid to step on, a foothold. It was a harrowing few seconds. It seemed like a lot longer than that. Um, trying to keep my face above the water, but only just, and panic ensues, and all that comes to mind is help, help. <laughs> the story had a good ending, but we can find ourselves in similar situations in life, Um where we are scrambling in a panic, and it's important to remember to trust God. He will not let your foot slip. There's a text in Psalms that says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He watches over you. Sorry, he who watches over you will not slumber. Okay. Well, thank you for that personal testimony there. Now, <clears throat> In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, is some rather curious statements. Ken, would you read those verses? And then I want to ask you, do you think such things as sickness, disasters, equipment failure and poor outcomes occur because people don't trust in the Lord? Or is it just coincidence? Well, then we'll read Second Chronicles 7, 14 to 
14, where God says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. There's much more about blessings and cursings as we've heard in Deuteronomy 28, 16 to 16, which we don't have time to read at the moment. But yes, I do believe that many of these things are the result uh, from God because man uh, has not only ignored God, but um, it does not want anything to do with him. Yes. Uh, last week I mentioned <clears throat> about when I was in business and honouring and trusting in the Lord and having my business closed on Sabbath uh, was no detriment, whereas others who did close their business, did not close on the Sabbath, were finding hard times. And that was a personal experience. Well, Will, one of the big issues in people's lives revolves around money. Often, there never seems to be enough of it. Yet, God asks his followers to return a tithe that is 10% back to him. Then he proceeds to outline his part in the covenant relationship by inviting us to test him to see if he keeps his part of the covenant. Would you like to just share on this, please, Will? Yes, inspired words in Malachi 3, verses 7 to 11. It says, Yet from the days of your fathers... You have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. The Lord asks, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? He answers, In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, uh, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. An extraordinary claim, Len, that we are robbing God. It's a horror thought indeed. Hmm. All right. Well, tithing is where the rubber meets the road. When Christians are wholly committed to God and are prepared to trust and obey him fully, tithing is not an issue because God always keeps his side of the bargain. Somebody said to me a little while ago, I can do more with 90% of my income and giving 10% back to God than I could ever do with 
a hundred percent. And um, I'm asking you, panel, do you have any personal experiences where you can relate the blessings that followed because you obeyed the Lord by keeping his commandments and paying tithe? Jerry? I think I might have mentioned this once before, uh, Len, but um, a long time ago, my wife and I went to Europe and we lived in the Netherlands and it was an unexpected situation due to a fam family crisis. We didn't intend to stay there very long, but uh, in the end we stayed there for eight years. But my point is that when we arrived there, neither of us had a job. Uh, in fact, my wife was, um, uh, she came along to church, but she wasn't a member of the church, but she understood the principle of tithing. And I said to her, you know, this is, this is the right thing to do. So even with the very little that we had, uh, we were returning tithes and offerings. And it's just amazing how, uh, and we prayed, of course, but we needed a job. And we both got jobs immediately. I got a job at a government department and, um, and she ended up getting a job with uh, a company in Germany. We, we, we lived right on the German border. And it was only supposed to be for a few weeks to fill in, but she did such a good job that they offered her a full-time job. So yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing how, you know, God honors you if you honor him and opens the door. And we, yeah, we, we lack nothing. It was just an amazing experience. Yes. And, um, I'd love to tell some stories too. And I'm sure others of you have things to tell at times against us today. You know, listeners, God has made covenants with mankind because he loves us. God desires the company of man, and he's gone the second mile to woo fallen mankind back to himself. It would be much easier for God to write people off when they turn against him, but he's not like that. God proves his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that's from Romans 5, 8. Listeners, don't just sit on the fence. Open your life, your heart, up to God. Make him your best friend and trust him. He wants you, despite what you may think of yourself. So why not enter into a covenant relationship with him? You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Don't put it off. The Lord is waiting for you, hoping you will say yes to him. And on that note, Brenton, would you mind closing this study today with prayer? Certainly, Lynn. Father in heaven, we have been reminded again your faithfulness to us. Lord, your faithfulness to us never changes. Unfortunately, ours can be at times a bit fickle. We pray today that your grace and your Holy Spirit will give us the strength to be able to be obedient to all your commands. Not only the Ten Commandments, Lord, but the general principle of how we live our lives, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we treat others, whether they're within the church or outside of the church. We pray, Lord, that um, our lives may be a living testimony to others of the fact that we are being obedient to you 
and that others will see that you were blessing us because of your faithfulness to us and because we are seeking to return that faithfulness to you. Thank you today for this study. Bless our listeners who will hear this and are hearing this uh, program today. I pray, Lord, that they will open their hearts to you and say, yes, Lord, I accept your gift of salvation in Jesus. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. 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 Well, listeners, that's it for today. We hope that you'll say there's space in time to join us again next week. And as our host, our usual host, Nick, would say, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. <laughs>